Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. So we were talking about this thing called the church. Real quick, how many of you grew up going to church? You grew up as a kid, maybe mom took you to like church or Sunday school or anything like that. How many of you like, no, not at all as a kid. You missed out on some things if you didn't go to church as a kid. Um, Like, for instance, there was that Father Abraham song. That was a big deal. Father Abraham had many sons. Yeah, you missed out on that. Uh, Noah's, Noah's Ark, everything was Noah's Ark themed in the children's, which is crazy because basically everybody died, but it was a children's thing. So anyway, you missed out on a lot of things if you didn't go to church as a kid. But here's a benefit to not going to church as a kid is that sometimes when you go to church as a kid, you can sometimes get a, um, a childlike perception of what church is. And then you get stuck with that later down in, in, down the road in life. And so uh, today, let's just revisit this idea of church and let's talk about what it means to be a church. Now, this is the first time you ever see this word in the Bible. It's where Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, he sits down, he's talking to his disciples and he says this. He goes, hey, guys. Now, they were in the region of Caesarea Philippi. He says, hey, guys, who do people say that I am? And they replied, well, some people think you're John the Baptist. Come back from the dead. Others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah, a prophet, something like that. And then he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says the most profound thing, apparently. He said, you are the Christ or the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds, said, well, blessed are you, Simon. Because this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. Meaning God somehow gave you this epiphany, this understanding, this insight, this revelation. And he goes, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, this revelation, I will build my, everybody say church. I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome. It's the first time you see this idea called church. And it's a Greek word. Uh, it's ecclesia. It's, it's the idea of a gathering. That's it. This word that we can see the word church is actually like coming from a German descent. It had to do with like a building, but a church has nothing to do with the building. This idea called church goes back to what Jesus said. He goes, it is the gathering of the people who have put their faith in this revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And when you gather around that big idea, I'm telling you what, you've got something powerful. You've got something so powerful that the gates of hell can't overcome that thing. And so we are the gathering. And I need you to think about this. You are a part of a local gathering right here, right now. We're also a part of a a global church. The funny thing is, is that the church has always looked weird and different and has changed over time. And what we have today is just kind of what it is. But it's not always been this way. It's constantly been kind of evolving and changing and and adapting to the culture. But it's kept that one sense of, no, we are the people who gather because we have put our faith in Jesus, that he is the Christ the son of the living God. And they have all kinds of different shapes, all kinds of different forms, all kinds. It's not about our, our style. Our style's not right and everybody else is wrong. It's not about our, 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 our orthodox. It's not about our specific unique doctrines. Everybody's, have you noticed like all the different denominations? They start getting a little nitpicky about what they believe about this or what they believe. It goes, no, no, no. That's on the peripheral. This thing called the church is the gathering of the people. Who have put their faith in Jesus. And so that's what we're talking about. Is this idea of the gathering. This this global gathering. This local gathering. What you know. Think about this. You're part of a historical church. You literally for 2,000 years. People have been gathering in the name of Jesus. Being baptized. Taking communion. Worshiping God. Opening up the scriptures. You're a part of something really, really profound. Really, really awesome. 
it's kind of a big deal. Um, and so anyway, that's what we're talking about today. And, and as Jesus is, is talking about a gathering, not a building necessarily, although buildings are great. We're trying to buy this one. Buildings are great, but they're just a place for the gathering. And so out of this gathering, what you see is, is that Jesus said that you will be connected together to one another because of your faith in Christ. Because there's this unique thing kind of going on here. Let me show you that from the beginning, you always needed some type of connection to some people. Ready? Watch this. In Genesis 2, now that's the beginning, right? You got Genesis 1, Genesis 2. That's this as far back as we can go. Look at what, how the creation story goes. It says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man. He said, you're free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you shall surely die. But the next verse is really strange. He goes, then the Lord said, it's not good. Everybody say, not good. Everybody say, no good. Everybody say, no bueno. It's no good. Now, when he was creating everything in the creation story, it's like, God says this, and he created, then he said, that's good. Almost like he was self-congratulatory. You ever do that? Let's be honest. When you're alone, you probably don't do it in public because you sound weird. But when you're alone, you ever like make something, step back, and you're always around like, I made that. That is awesome. I don't care what anybody says. That is cool. It sounds like that. God's like, I just made earth. You know, that's good. I did that. You know, and so everything is good. And I think it plays on this bigger idea of God is, is defining what goodness is. And so God creates and calls it good. But the first time in scripture that there's any type of negative number, a negative idea, not. He goes, it's this. And you got to think about this. This is man. Guys, focus real quick here. This is a dude that is single. There's no mom to tell him what to do. He doesn't have to pick up his underwear off the floor. He literally can eat whatever he wants. He doesn't have to brush his teeth. There's no bedtime. Literally freedom. And God said, that's not true. Ever seen a guy left to himself? It's not good. Think about it. You ever see like that, like the stories of the hermit people that live up in Alaska or whatever. They've been alone too long. They get weird. God's like, that's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And this is in a perfect Garden of Eden environment. This is perfection. This is bliss. This is, this is without sin. This is with, check this. This is with perfect harmony and relationship with God. Remember, he's walking around the garden. He's just talking to God. So he's there with God. And he's single and he can do whatever he wants. You know what I mean? Like there's everything that some, some of us dream up. <laughs> And he's like, nope, that right there is not good, which means this. We would say that all people are created with a God-shaped hole in their heart that longs for something divine. And we lo- there's something missing in us and we long for it. We try to fill it with all kinds of craziness or sinfulness or weirdness or whatever, all the things that we think would fulfill us, but it's God. There is something missing that only God can fulfill, but, everybody say but, God made you with a people-shaped hole in your heart. Because he was with God, he had that down, but he didn't have people, he didn't have connection, he didn't have relationship. Everybody say, we're better together. We're better together. So, so here's the deal, because if you really look at it, here's a few things I notice when I just look at like, when you're out on your own, when you're all on your own, when you got too much isolation, here are some of the problems that you're going to run into. Number one is this, is you have lost perspective. You ever notice that? Like when you're alone, 
You just don't necessarily begin to see clearly. You begin to see very myoptically. Like, however I see it, that's the way the world is. And you lack a perspective of what it's like to see through the eyes of another person. What it's like to walk in their shoes. You lack empathy. You lack perspective. You lack things that only other people can add to you. This is true of even your walk with God because we know this to be true. Usually cults begin this way. They begin with a person in their, in their room by themselves with a Bible and they read something, take it out of context, make up a weird idea and then run with it. You lose some perspective. Like you gotta remember for thousands of years people never read the Bible alone, right? Why? Because you had to kill a herd of sheep to be able to produce a Bible or a scroll, right? And you normally had one Bible maybe per community. And usually most everybody was illiterate anyway and only one or two people could read. So you were reading the scriptures in community. You were sharing the script. You would read the scriptures and then you would talk in community about what God was trying to say to each of us. And if you've ever done this before, you'd be fascinated to find you can sit down with one little text of scripture, one little story, one little whatever. And what one person gets out of it can be incredibly unique and different from what another person. So you have this, you need some perspective. So don't, you don't want to isolate. Here's, here's another one. Lost protection. There is just something too to like, you don't want to be in a lie. This is what, this is what Solomon said. He goes, if you fall down and you got no one around, you know, if you're, if you're taking the garbage cans out to the street and one falls on you, you need some help sometimes. That's a real story. So you need, you need people around you. He, Solomon said the same thing. He was like, hey, look, if you get cold, you need somebody to cuddle with. You know, it's, it's cold out there. You need relationship. You need connection. It's, it's about protection. As a matter of fact, I learned this from the zookeeper. Um, you learn things when you take your kids to the zoo. The zookeeper told me this. The zookeeper, because I was saying, hey, what if we released a lion? Because they had this exhibit where the, the giraffes are together with the elephants and with all the zebras and with all the. I'm like, hey, what if we just stuck a lion in there? How cool would that be? And she's like, well, actually, the giraffe will decapitate it with a back kick. And, you know, I'm like, oh, my gosh. So like, don't tell my kids that. It's weird. But she said something about the zebra. She goes, the, the lions actually have a hard time hunting the zebras because they have poor eyesight. And so he goes, they herd together and you know, all these stripes and it just makes this blurry mess. The lions can't focus. He goes, the only way that or she goes, the only way that lions ever capture a zebra is they find one that's straggling. All alone. So there's a sense of protection. There's a sense of you can pick me up. You can help me. You can encourage me. You can support me. It's not that you just want to be surrounded by. Don't you want to be surrounded by great people who are generous and kind and encouraging and supportive? And that's, I think, a, a powerful thing. Here's another one. Um, isolation just produces a sense of selfishness. Like, I believe that. Um, and it's not evil selfishness, although it could be. It's just a sense of, look. Whenever you do what you want, when you want, whenever you want, however you want, you spend your money the way you want to, you spend your time the way, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just an inherent selfishness. When you surrender yourself maybe in a marriage or in a family or in a church and you prefer other people above yourself, you put others first in your life, you literally have to submit your agenda. Sometimes you have to submit your money, you know, you have to submit your time, you submit those things to the greater part of that relationship. And so again, there's, there's a, here's the last one. There's just poor health. There's studies that show this, that it's just, you're a healthier person when you are in community. As a matter of fact, they, they talk about these as blue zones and they talk about the people that live the longest. And one of the contributing factors, it's not your diet. I mean, that helps. Don't, please don't go eat Taco Bell three days, three times a week or, or whatever, but like, 
it, it matters, but it's not the most important thing. The most important thing was community. They would find in these blue zones that there are literally four generations sometimes living in one home. And they live in close proximity. They're in a village. They're in a community. They have connection. It's, it's something incredible. So what the studies show is, is again, connection, relationship. It's better. So what the study said was it's literally better to eat Twinkies with your friends than to eat broccoli by yourself. You want to be healthy in life. So you need some type of connection. And what Jesus called the church was the gathering. It's the, it's the people. It's the gathering. Built around one idea. We, we, we can talk about the minutia. And, and that's even fun to talk about the minutia and the little things. But the main thing is, is that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And when we gather around that, that's powerful. It's life changing. And because of it, we're better together. Now, Paul has a revelation. Paul has this. And it's funny, too. It's not going to be that funny to us. I'm telling you what, when people read this back in the first century, they were like cracking up. They thought Paul was funny. Paul had a funny moment. It's not that funny to us, though. I've got to be honest. It's a little funny. It's not really that funny. But he has a funny moment to them. And he has this revelation, this insight on what it means to be the gathering. And he has two metaphors that he uses. One of them is family. But the other one is the body of Christ. Because Christ is the head. And then we're this body, right? And it's kind of a metaphor. It's kind of odd. But this is how he explains it. This is First Corinthians chapter 12. For just as the body is one and has many members. And all the members of the body, though they're many... They are one body, and so it is with Christ. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. There's a bunch of us. But we're collective. We come together in a gathering, and we make something powerful, profound, unique. Now, he says this in verse 15. Now, if the foot... Does anybody want to be a foot? You might have like a foot thing, like they like feet. Just own it. Just... Yeah, just be kind. Um, He goes, if the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand... I don't belong to the body. Well, that's ridiculous. That would not make it any less part of the body. So he's, again, this is where people are like chuckling and snickering. They're like, (laughs) he just said, what if I'm a foot? You know, but if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. What what Paul is saying here is this is just because you have a perceived value, you know, because some of us do that. Some of us look at church. I, I do this. Can I be honest? I really wish I could sing. I really do. I wish is anybody else there with me. Like you sound terrible. You're just horrible singer. Aren't you glad we turned the volume up in here? We don't have to hear us. We're joyful noise people. I really want to sing. And so when I'm in my car, I sing. Dude, I am the man in my car. But but, you know, I'm like, I sound terrible. So I am jealous of Joanna because Joanna has a beautiful voice. I wish I could sing like that. That's like me saying, well, I'm the foot, but I really wish I was an eyeball. I really wish I was something other than, than who I am. And the point that Paul's making here is there are no useless believers. It doesn't exist. There is nothing. There, there, there's no such place in this body that's useless. Sometimes the hair gets more credit than it deserves. Can I get an amen? Some, sometimes we're looking at the eyeballs. like, Oh, what beautiful eyes you have. Well, you know what? Sometimes the foot is awesome, people. Sometimes, and you know this to be true. Has anybody ever had back problems before? Anybody? This is a guy thing. A few years ago, uh, my, my back went out, right? Like, I don't know what was going on. And, and I was crippled. 
I was flipping the mattress, and I did this thing with a lift, and it's always a lift with a twist. So it's a lift, and then a twist, ah, and it's just, and I literally, why are y'all laughing? This is not a funny story. This is painful. I literally, do you remember, babe? Yeah, I buckled. I literally buckled and went to the ground. It was like, oh my gosh. And dude, it locked up. I'd never had this before. I was, I was in my probably mid thirties or something like that. I'm like, I'm too young for this, you know? And, uh, and so anyway, I locked up and I had this happen like two or three times over the next, you know, probably, you know, year to two years before I finally was able to fix and correct and strengthen and do all that you do or whatever. And so I, and every time it was a lift with a twist and like, you know, you do that thing and man, it's pathetic. It's pathetic. You got this tiny little muscle back here. Y'all ever see that? Right? Like, Nobody, nobody ever like notices, thinks about, nobody says, oh wow, you have an amazing lower back. That's incredible. Nobody, nobody ever compliments you on that. Nobody notices, nobody thinks. I guess if you got a, 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 a I don't want to say that word, a, a, a stamp, uh, you know, it may, maybe you're bringing some attention to it if you do that. But outside of that, it's your lower back. And it's amazing how this, this one muscle can lock down the whole Body, because it's embarrassing. You got to. I literally one day. I, I this is gonna, like I said. I think it happened two, three times. One day it happened on like a Friday, and I was supposed to preach like two days later, and I was starting to feel a little bit better, but I pretty much couldn't get upright because that's how locked up it is. And I had to come out here with my son's nine iron as a cane just so I could like get around. Does anybody remember that? I had a chair and a nine iron. That was it's embarrassing, all because this little one little muscle in your body. And so there's no there's no useless muscles. As a matter of fact, you know this this is interesting. Obina, you know this. There the, the smallest. Bones in your body, these smallest ones, they're actually found in your ear. They're ossicles. Have you ever heard of this? Ossicles. Am I saying that right? Close enough. There are three, it's, it, the ossicles are made up of three little tiny bones. They're called the, the hammer, the anvil, and the stirrup. And they're so intertwined and connected in your ear that if one of them's not there or somehow messed up or disconnected, you lose all hearing. So think about that. The smallest bones in your body contribute to basically 99.9% of all of your hearing. And can you, can you imagine like all of a sudden, you know, like one of them's called the hammer. That's kind of cool. I'm the anvil, and then one's a stirrup. What, you, what how do you get the lame, isn't that what you prop your feet up in, or whatever? You, how do you, who, what if the stirrup was like, that's it, I'm out, I'm on strike. You gave me a dumb name, and I'm out. You know, so the point is, is that there are no useless believers. You can't look at anybody else. You have to see, that, listen, this is what chair stacking is. Chair stacking is one of the first thing that happens on a Sunday morning. And nobody ever sees it. It's literally the first thing that goes. But y'all wouldn't be here. You'd have no play. We, we, y'all wouldn't come to church if I made y'all stand up every week. Y'all be like, no, I'm going to Cornerstone there, you know, whatever. Y'all would be somewhere else. You wouldn't be here if I didn't have chairs out. And you know, nobody ever, it comes in as like, you know what, who put these chairs out? I'm giving that dude a hug. I'm giving that woman a hug. High fives all around. Cause bless God. I, I don't know they're not comfortable, but you still got a chair. Can we give the chair people a hand real quick here? I got on a tangent. Let me return to scripture. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, this is where he's being funny. He's like, can you imagine if the whole body was just one big eye? That'd be weird, right? Where would, you wouldn't be able to hear if you're just one big eyeball. 
If the whole body were an ear, you couldn't smell. No one would claim to be the nose, right? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but yet there is one body. You know what Paul's saying here? It's not only saying is there are no useless believers. You know what else he's saying? He says, without you, there's something missing. That's it. Without you, there's something missing. You play a vital part. You might be the tiny little muscle in the back. You might be the little bone in the ear. But I promise you, you are vital. You are crucial. You, you know this to be true, too. If you ever had a toothache, you ever notice like you get a toothache and all of a sudden you're paralyzed. If you get a bad enough toothache, you can't get out of bed, right? Like, like there, there are no insignificant members. There are no useless parts. We are all connected and we thrive. We are better when we are together. And that's a fact. As a matter of fact, in 1981, uh, Ronald Reagan, our president, was shot and was hospitalized for weeks. And the observation was is that, well, the government just ran, continued on. Nobody skipped a beat. Nothing collapsed. Nothing fell apart. We're all still here. Because the president was completely hospitalized for three weeks. The next year in Philadelphia, the garbage collectors went on strike it crumpled the city. The city came to a halt after three weeks because literally the city was overrun with garbage. See, sometimes we're like, oh, the president. And sometimes we're so quick to dismiss somebody that does what seems to us to be a lower task. They are stacking chairs. Maybe they're greeting. They're putting out the coffee. I don't I don't see these people. I don't notice it. I just come in and sit down and drink the coffee. But I'm telling you, when the little things shut down in life, that is significant. It's incredible. So let's keep reading here. So verse 21, he continues on this. This again, this ongoing metaphor, this joke, really, if you will. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor again, the head to the feet. I don't need you. Can you imagine like if you're just a head? And you have no feet. You can't get anywhere. This is why it's funny to these people. This is a joke. This is Paul being humorous. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, they're actually the ones that are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow actually greater honor. He said the people that do the little things, he goes, that's where we ought to send the greater honor. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one, this is so crucial, listen to this. If one member suffers, we all suffer together. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. Point Paul is making is this. Our life is connected to each other. You can't escape that. We are the gathering of the people of God. We are the gathering of the people of faith who have put our trust in Jesus, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And you now are connected. You are dependent. You are a part of something so much bigger than yourselves is what Paul is saying here. And you need each other. As a matter of fact, there's a story of, um, is it Admiral James Stockdale? Stockdale? It was, the, it was the guy who was a prisoner in Vietnam at the Hanoi Hilton. And he talks about it in his book about how they were, they were separated. They were put in isolation. And in isolation, he goes, we were pulled out, you know, to be tortured. And then we were stuck back in isolation. And this is what he said in his book. He goes, in fits of depression, a man starts seeing the bottom of the barrel and realizes that unless he gets some structure, some ritual, some poetry into his life, he is going to become 
an animal. And right after this is when he talks about, so this is what we decided to do. We recognized that they were winning, that they were breaking our spirits, that we were losing our minds. And so what they did was is they found ways to communicate. They were literally tapping on the walls and creating like Morse code and conversation at night to communicate with one another. And he goes, that's how we survive. We survive by realizing we are not alone in this, that there's somebody out there. We are all hanging in there and hanging on together. He realized, look, we are not going to survive unless we have each other, even in the most simple way possible. Let's keep reading. So verse 27, now you are the body of Christ. So he's done this big metaphor. And now he's going to just jam it home. Ready? Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God, well, he's appointed apostles and prophets and teachers. There's these gifts like miracles, healing, that sounds super cool, but then he goes, well, yeah, but like helping. What is your gift? I just help. What do you do? I, I help. That doesn't sound like miracles. It's like an ossicle. It's vital. He goes, administrating, that is boring. Unless you have the gift of administrating and then you organize your sock drawer and you know how to work Excel spreadsheets and God bless you. Because you keep the world running. But then there's various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Well, no. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire these higher gifts. The point is, everyone must play their role. This is it. Everyone, listen, we are the gathering. We are connected. We are a part of something powerful, something that the gates of hell cannot overcome. We absolutely need each other. We are dependent upon each other. As a matter of fact, there's a, there's a sense of this in nature even. It's called symbiosis. You know what I'm talking about? We've been, I feel like we've been like nature history today, but sciency today. I'll try to be different next week. But anyway, the, 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 the symbiosis, you, you remember what finding Nemo? That little cute little clownfish? And then they live inside of a plant called an anemone, right? You get the clownfish and you got the anemone. And the reason why that there's symbiosis there is because they live off of each other and they both protect one another because the, the anemone has like these, like these little creepy, weird things that sting other fish, but not the clownfish. The clownfish actually has a special coating around its skin and it doesn't get hurt or affected, but that thing protects his protects the the clownfish but the clownfish does this there's these tiny little things that attack the anemone and that's what the clownfish eats You're like that's perfect harmony that's how people were designed to be in relationship in harmony with one another we got eyeballs and ears and feet and some of y'all have hair and there's all these different parts of the body that come together and we need everybody there are no useless people. There are no useless things. Helping matters. Administrating matters. There's one, as a matter of fact, when you read, there's about three different times in scripture where the, the, the biblical authors list gifts. And this is the interesting thing about them is that not one of them is conclusive. Not one of them has like, there's no uniformity. Like one list is like these five things. One list has these 10 things. One list has these 12 things or whatever. And there's no absolute uniform. You know what there means? It means that there's no list. There's no finalized, completed list. I bet Paul thought about one day, like, hey, you know what they're going to need one day? I, I bet they'll need a tech person. 
So I'm going to put that in there, right? Like I bet there's somebody that's good and nerdy with buttons and switches and software. And Paul didn't know what software was, but he's like, I'm not finishing this lift because I bet you in the future they're going to create some crazy stuff. And I don't even know how to list that. We'll call it helps. What do they do? They help. They figure it out. They jump in. They support. They do whatever it takes. They help. And that's what they do. Point being is this. We are better together. There are no useless believers. Without you, something is missing. Our life is connected to each other. Everyone must play their role. That's what you call the gathering. That's what you call the church. And so that's what me and this team and this church, that's what we're doing. We are inviting you in because some of us, what we do is, and it's good to participate. It's come to just, it's good just to come and attend for a while. Sometimes people come to this church and they're, they're hurting. And I'm like, just come and heal. It's like, no, 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 you don't need to serve right away. Just come and heal. Just come and sit. Just come and receive. But at some point, we need everybody to contribute with your prayers, with your generosity, with your serving. We, we, you, there are no useless members. We need even the seemingly insignificant things. We need your help. Last story, and I'll close, because this is a cool story. There's a story of a man named Charles Plum who, uh, again, during the Vietnam War, was a, a fighter pilot. It was almost like, because y'all see Top Gun's coming back. He was a fighter pilot during the war. And, and during the war, he had shot down so many people. He had run 75 successful missions. He was the man. But he did get shot down. So his, his plane was shot, and so he ejects, jumps out, parachutes in, but he's eventually captured. He's captured, he's imprisoned, he's, he's, he goes through the same type of thing, but he eventually gets released and he becomes a person that becomes like a motivational speaker and shares his life story. And so he's literally traveling the country, sharing his story, encouraging and empowering people. And one day while he's traveling, he's in a restaurant and a guy comes up to him and he goes, hey, you're, you're Charles Plum. You were on the Kitty Hawk. I know who you are. And he goes, how do you, how would you know me? How do you know that? And the guy said, I packed your parachute. He said, you what? He goes, no, I, I was on the Kitty Hawk. I used to pack parachutes. I packed your parachute. So they greet, have this exchange. But, but as Plum goes on to tell the story, he goes, man, it messed with me. It bothered me almost. I wrestled with it. He goes, I remember that night just thinking, how many times did I probably ignore this person? How many times did I pass by and didn't right? Because he goes, I'm sure I thought, because I'm a fighter pilot, I could be arrogant. And maybe I thought more high. And so when I passed, because you remember what the, the Navy guys used to look like? Remember they had them big old bell bottoms and that teacup hat? He goes, I was a fighter pilot. I probably walked by this guy and then they probably had a bib on and just back there. And he goes, I just recognized. And he said this. He goes, I thought of the many hours the sailor had spent on a long wooden table in the bowels of the ship. Carefully weaving the shrouds and folding the silks of each chute, holding in his hands each time the fate of someone he did not know. He said, so now when I give my speeches at the very end, I always ask people, who's packing your parachute? Because one of the most important things in life is who you are doing life with. Who are you journeying with? Who are you partnering with? Are you a part of the gathering? And there is no greater gathering. Listen to me. Clubs are great. and Go, go on a hiking club or go on to this club or go, go golf. whatever. But there is no more powerful gathering than the gathering of the people of God. The gathering of the people who have put their faith in Christ that he is the son 
of the living God. Would you bow your heads with me today? So, so here's the invitation. Don't be on the outside looking in. Don't, don't be a foot letting the body go limping along. Don't, don't be a hand that's sitting out there and you could help, but the body is less than what it could be because you're not a part of it. See, here's the deal. You have a purpose. God has given you time and talents and gifts and treasure. And God is saying, hey, you're a part of a gathering. You're a part of a body. You're a part of something bigger than yourself. But don't sit on the sidelines. Be engaged. Be a part. Get connected. Because you need each other. Think about what we could accomplish. Think about what the church could do. Think about what impact we could make. The reality is this. We are better together. So, Lord, would you help us as a church to unify, but also help us, God, to engage, to participate, to not sit in the stands, but get on the field. There is no useless believer. There's no useless gift. We all have something we can contribute. So, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? And, God, would you challenge us and encourage us? How can we participate? Lord, would you help us discover that and to step into it, Lord? That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Can you give the Lord a big hand clap today? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.